Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you are having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a coach, a strategist, a problem solver, a TEDx speaker. He's the creator of the Solving Box, and he is a podcaster. So let's welcome Steve Fredlund. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing great, Victor. Excited to hang out with you today. Thank you. Great to uh, be here with you as well. So uh, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's, uh, I spent about 25 years in the corporate world. So I'm an actuary by trade. So highly analytical stuff, a lot of numbers, a lot of calculus. Uh, did all of that for, for 25 years. Um, did some nonprofit stuff in parallel to that outside of career. Uh, but about four years ago, the end of 2018, I decided I'm going to take a run at doing this thing myself. So I left the corporate world, decided I was going to be doing some analytical consulting, uh, but through a series of events, I ended up doing some different things, more like coaching and speaking uh, and some of those pieces. So right now I'm focused on helping the smallest small businesses. So I call it small, small business. It's really about helping the micro businesses, the aspiring entrepreneurs, the mom and pop shops, because I think these are really, these are really my people. So the 25 years in the corporate world was great. Uh, but I always felt a little bit like that's not really who I am. Um, wonderful career, wonderful people, but felt a little bit out of place because I'm a more of a small town. My wife and I are both fifth generation in the same small town. And so now I feel like I'm, I'm finally really serving those people that uh, I really can connect with. Hey, awesome. So I'll be honest with you, I also came from a corporate background, so I kind of know some of the feelings you had about it. So after, uh, after a while, it was time for a change. You spent 25 years there, and uh, you did mostly actuarial stuff. So then about four years ago, you, want to, you, know, you wanted to do a change. You started doing some analytical consulting, then you went into speaking and coaching. And now your primary focus is dealing with small businesses, mom and pops, uh, places, small time entrepreneurs. How did you uh, get involved in dealing with these small businesses and the mom and pops uh, of the world? Yeah, really. Uh, what I ultimately wanted to do is give back to the community and see our communities become more vibrant. Uh, that's a lot of the nonprofit, a lot of the humanitarian work I did was centered around uniting our community. I just, I'm, I was so tired of seeing, and I still am tired of seeing our small town rural communities with the businesses shutting down, with main streets closing down. And I was wondering, how can I be part of that solution? Uh, and so I surrounded myself with the right people, said, based on what you know about me, based on my skill set, my passions, how can I contribute to our communities becoming more vibrant? We're kind of re renewing that life in our downtowns and that sense of community. And where those conversations led to was really helping the small businesses thrive. Because as small business owners thrive, that's where communities become more vibrant because those are the people that in many ways are the lifeblood of the communities. They're the people that they live there, they work there, they play there, they eat there, they volunteer there, they give their time, they give their money. Like these are the people that are in the community helping the community. And so that's where I decided to, to spend my focus to say, if I can help them become more successful, if I can help the local nonprofits make a bigger impact, then I'm going to see community vibrancy increase. So I got involved there really because. I wanted to see communities thrive. And I feel like that is the biggest contribution I can make toward that goal. 
No, that is off. So you wanted to help communities thriving. You saw a lot of small businesses shutting down, a lot of places in the small towns, the rural areas. You surround yourself with the right people. And you realize that communities become vibrant again and thrive again as a small business is thriving again. So that's why you try to help a lot of these small businesses and uh, the local nonprofits. And um, no, no, that, that is really awesome. So um, what do you recommend, for example, some of these small businesses, um, it's a two-faced question. For those that are currently there, that are out there, maybe it's in a small town, maybe it's in a large city, they are struggling, you know, it's, especially the last couple of years has been a really difficult time for small businesses and small time entrepreneurs. What do you recommend that they might want to try to do to keep going in business? And for those that are considering becoming, owning a small business or becoming an entrepreneur, what are some of the things they should consider doing as they are getting started? Yeah, it's been a terrible few years. Uh, and it was hard for small businesses before the pandemic, uh, but it's been really hard for most small businesses uh, since then. A lot of what I what I work with people on is just clarity. Uh, and now that might be people that are aspiring entrepreneurs, people that want to start a small business. A lot of what I work with them on is just, what are you trying to do? Why are you starting your own business? What are you actually trying to accomplish? Where do you want to go? Because there's a lot of reasons you could start a small business. And there's a lot of different models that you could build it around. But if you're not really clear on what it is that you're trying to do and what imprint you want to have in your community or what uh, what sort of success you want to have, it's pretty tough to set up really effective strategies that are aligned to that vision. And so clarity is so critical when you are setting this thing up. Don't brush over this the whole question about who you are, what you want to do, where you want to go, those sorts of pieces. It's really critical you understand that. And it's the same answer for people that are in business already in a lot of ways. Now, there's some things that you're going to be forced to shift because of the pandemic, because of society changes and those pieces. But it comes down to clarity. What are you really trying to do? And I worked with a number of small business owners, nonprofit leaders, where we've, we've sat down and I've just asked them a bunch of questions. What are you trying to do with your business? And a lot of times they can't even answer that question. And I don't mean that as an indictment against them. What I mean by saying that is that when, when you don't have clarity, it's really hard to figure out where you should go as a business. And so if you're struggling in your business, whether it's, you know, revenues plateau and you want to grow it, or you're not sure if you can keep the doors open, the first thing to really do is ask yourself, what are you really trying to do with the business? What is your goal? What are, what is your personality? How does it align with you? What do you really want to accomplish? And I know you might be rolling your eyes at this, uh, people that are listening to this, but that really is the key. And I've seen it over and over and over again, get clear on that and then figure out what are the strategies? Because a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants will just say, in this time of pandemic, here's the 12 things that you need to do. Well, that does work for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. Small businesses are so unique and they're so personal to the owner that you really have to understand what is at the core of who you are, what you're trying to do, and then figure out specifically customized for you, what are those next steps to take? Because everybody's motivations are different, everybody's goals are different, uh, and everybody's personalities are different. And you're right. There is no one size fits all. Different businesses require different things, whether it's small, medium, or large size businesses. So that's why everyone's individual. You have to talk to them. And you know I, I, what you were saying about, again, that clearly reminds me of something I learned from one of my mentors. He said, vague goals give you vague results. If you really don't know what you want, you're not going to get it because of your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind, I think, is very important. And I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about it as well and your mindset. It really needs clear, precise directions. Because if you say, what do you want? I want more money. But what is more money? 
you want an extra thousand, you want an extra ten thousand, you want an extra hundred thousand, you want a million. Yeah, your subconscious mind needs clear instructions. So you, that's why I think it's very important because a lot of times people have these fuzzy goals, desires, needs, whys, and when you when you have those kind of things that are fuzzy, it doesn't know what to do. But if you give it clear, precise goals, the why give it clarity. You know why? You know why do you need it? What do you want? You know, be precise in the orders and the instructions you give to it. It will it will work to give you the things that you want, but if you give it very vague instructions, it doesn't know what to do. So I think that's very important. You know, the goals that you have for your business, your wise, why do you need this? Why do you why is this so important to you? Is it do you want to travel? You know, when you be able to travel with your family, do you want time for whatever you want? It's got to be clear. So I think that's a very important point. And I hope the people that are listening to this interview fully understand the, the need to be clear about all these things, your goals, your what you are looking to do, your wise. It's very, very important. So you yeah, might start- everybody will tell me, you know, every small business owner will say, well, I want more time and I want, I want to make more money and I want to spend less time working. Well, what does that actually mean to you? And to what end? What do you, like to your point, is it $1,000, $10,000? What is it? And sorry to interrupt you there, but just one thought. Um, it, it does remind me of the, there's a great book, Alice in Wonderland. I'm sure a lot of people know it by Lewis Carroll. And there's this great exchange between the Cheshire cat and Alice. And to paraphrase it, the cat ends up telling Alice, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And that's so true in business, like vague goals, vague ideas of what you want. I just want to make more money. I just want to have some freedom, like in general terms. And so if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. That's where you're going to end up just by putting one foot in front of the other every day, every year, without any plan, any vision, you're going to end up somewhere. And that's exactly where you should be because that was exactly the plan that you made was, was none. You just took a, took a flyer on some road. Absolutely. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you. That, that is so true. Um, I remember something I did in an event. I, I asked the people, who wants more money? And everyone, of course, raised their hand. So I went to one of the people. I gave them a nickel. I said, you have more money. You have? It's like, no, I want more money. <laughs> so I gave him a quarter. I said, can you have 30 cents? You have? He's like, no. Well, how much do you want? And then he be, right. started becoming more precise. He gave me a figure. But that's, that's what we do all the time. So if you don't know what road you want, what direction you want to go, uh, it, 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 you just, it's never, you're never going to get to where you choose. You have to, you know, really dig deep into what you're really, your needs, desires, and your wise. And most people don't take, take the time to do that. Um, there was one guy, his name is Brandon Bouchard. He talked about, no, it's Dean Graciosi. He talked about the seven whys. And when he talks to people, and you might do something similar, is he asks them why they want to do it. So he gives them the reason. Then he says, why? And every time they respond, he, he asks, but why is that important? And then they respond. Then he says, well, why is that important? He goes seven levels, levels deep because the further you dig down, the more precise you really realize, what do I really want out of this? What am I looking for for me and my family? So, and I think um, you probably do something so. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Also, you mind talking, we were talking about the subconscious mind because I think a lot of people don't appreciate enough the power of the subconscious mind and how it controls most of the things that we do. Yeah, I think the, the seven whys or any exercise like that is super powerful because of exactly that. And that's a lot of what I do is just getting clarity from people. And it's amazing. We can do a, a 90 minute call and all I do is ask questions and they answer questions that they should maybe already know before. And by the end, they're like, they don't need any more coaching. They don't need any more talking about strategy or making decisions because it's just, everything's so clear. They know what they want to do. Okay, in seven years, I want to sell the business for at least X dollars. And I want to move to this location and I want to have this much residual income. Okay, well, good. Now, now all the other decisions should take care of itself. You probably shouldn't be launching and starting a new, 
you know, new department in your business because you're only want to be there seven years, right? So these sorts of things come, come out of their thing. As far as the, the subconscious mind, and that's an interesting thing because it's, it's actually a pretty new area for me to really explore and understand that. So I've actually got people that I'm working with to help me understand the power of that. So you probably know more than I do about that because I consider myself a recovering actuary. So I've spent 25 years, you know, doing mathematical, incredibly logical things. And even some of the stuff that I said earlier about personality and knowing yourself, I would have been rolling my eyes at that stuff like 20 years ago. So, you know, the idea of subconscious mind and your uh, sort of your, your mental health and, or not mental health, but sort of your, um, the, the mental state of mind for you and how you approach things and all of those subconscious pieces, like those are all pretty new to me. So I'm learning those pieces. And what I have found is that there is truth in how you, how you sort of position yourself subconsciously to have success and how you, how the things that you're, you know, recognizing in the, in sort of this real world, so to speak, how you internalize those and how those some kind of come out in your subconscious and how do you, how do you get your mind prepared for success uh, in those things? So that's a, a new area for me that I'm, I'm actually exploring. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. So I assume like the subconscious and stuff like, you know, mindset, personal development, those things like that, that's something you've been working on recently. You're starting to realize how powerful those things are and that can really affect your success or lack of success then, correct? For sure. Mind, mindset is one of those things, kind of like, I'll be honest, like personal brand. Okay, I, I get it kind of, but I don't really get it. And now I'm starting to really understand the power of personal brand. And mindset is kind of those, those same things. If I'm, if I'm thinking that, um, you know, I'm not enough, or if I'm thinking that I shouldn't be talking to these people because, you know, I don't know enough and they're going to find me out, the whole imposter syndrome thing. Even if I'm thinking about things in that way, and then I go on stage and I talk about it, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm not going to be as confident. They're going to see kind of through that. They're going to recognize those pieces. So I need to get myself to a place where I feel like, uh, you know, I am enough and I need to help myself get over some of those childhood traumas or childhood things where, you know, I struggled with some of those pieces or even things like, man, I'm so hypersensitive to people that are overly confident and I consider them arrogant. And so I don't want to be perceived that way. And so I err on the side of, this false humility, some of these pieces where they are mindset things. Uh, so their mindset's a whole vast amount of different things. But for me, those are the pieces that I'm working on. Some of the, that self-talk, some of that internal confidence, some of those pieces that are, are hard, I think, for somebody with my upbringing and with my personality type and being introverted. I think those are bigger hurdles for me to overcome. But I think we all have those pieces that are self-limiting beliefs that are getting in the way. I got it. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we all have these things. I think we've all struggled with them at various times. You know, you have these fears, maybe I'm not enough, even though you have all the skills and the abilities, but sometimes you don't believe in yourself. And you mentioned the imposter syndrome, you, you, you know, people, and you know, you mentioned you, maybe you don't feel that confidence. And when you're talking, whether you're on stage or talking to someone, you might be giving them great advice, but they sense that lack of belief in yourself. You give these subliminal messages and you wonder, why is it they don't want to work with me? Or why is it they're not joining me? And, and that's a big part because they can sense your lack of belief in yourself. And they're thinking to themselves, maybe not conscious, maybe sometimes they're thinking, well, this person doesn't believe in himself. 
why should I believe in him? So, and I'm glad you talked about it because we, you know, you work on it, you get that beliefs and confidence and you realize, man, I really have a lot to offer. And you mentioned self-talk as well, which I think is, is something very important. A lot of people don't realize a lot of the self-talk that we say to ourselves is so damaging and we really don't pay attention to it. And, and we're wondering, well, I want to do all these things. And then for some reason, I find myself sabotaging myself. And a big part of that is self-talk. And, um, I like that term. You're a recovering actuary. Uh, <laughs> that, that was very beautiful. So I like to ask you because, you know, you mentioned all these things. So you spent 25 years in the Cobra. You, you, you did a lot of actuary work and now you've been an entrepreneur the last four years. Um, in terms of both, both in your, in your corporate career and in the last four years of an entrepreneur, what do you, what are the, some of the things that you have done, the, some of the traits you have that made you successful both as a corporate world Actuary and and as an entrepreneur, what are some of the things you've done that have made you successful? And what are things um, you this maybe some of the mistakes you might have learned saying, Oh, I, I did this, I never do this again. So, and this may maybe these are some of the things you recommend to your clients saying, don't do this, it's gonna make it's gonna cause you a lot of grief. Right. I think I think um, you know, I'm a multi-passionate um creative problem solver. Like that is really the core of who I am. And so that's that served me well in both the corporate world and outside of the corporate world, um, within the corporate world, because I was able to solve complex problems, communicate it clearly. I got involved in some really complex things, inventing uh, products and capital markets, derivative hedging and some of these things that because I, I loved figuring things out and I love those complex things. So that served me really well as a career. Uh, and then outside of that, it's done the same thing as I encounter a business owner that's got some sort of real complex thing or they just can't figure it out. So the idea of being able to solve complex problems is huge for me. And that all starts with clarity. Like, I still think it's like the Einstein piece where he says, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes on the problem, five minutes on the solution. I think that's how I am wired. And that served me really well inside of the corporate world. However, uh, the, the flip side of your question, um, I haven't always either been completely honest about who I am personally or where my strengths really lie. And so because I'm a people pleaser also, I got caught up in the corporate, this is what you should do. This is your next step. And so what would happen is I would become very successful in the, the individual contributor role of solving complex problems. They'd say, wow, you're really good at that. I want to make you a manager. And then I would hate my life. Like I just hated it. I hated every element of that because it wasn't really true to who I am. I want to solve problems. I don't want to manage people. I like people, but not enough. And I don't want to manage them. I wanted to say, go do your job. Like, I don't want to do all that. So I was a very, I was a very good visionary leader and I'm a very good uh, individual problem solver. I'm terrible at management. And I didn't really recognize that for a long time. And I would just kept taking on those roles where I would be promoted to manager because that's what you should do, right? Instead of looking at myself and saying, that is not my skill set. That does not give me life. That's not what I'm passionate about. I should have turned those jobs down, frankly, but that's not what you do, right? In the corporate world, you don't turn jobs down or promotions, you know, you take promotions. And so that was part of it. And I think I'm, I've been able to apply that uh, now that I'm on my own to be able to say that is not who I am. Now, I know everybody tells me, I should do this in terms of marketing or promoting myself, but that's not who I am. And so I'm trying to be more true to really who I am and how I want to do things. So, um, you know, with that, what it's just about learning who are you and being true to that uh, rather than just doing things because people expect you to do it, because you want to please people, because you should do it. Um, and that's been a, a real key learning now uh, as I've been working on my own. 
Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah, focus on problem solving, serving people, helping you getting the clarity. I like the, the Einstein quote about spending 55 minutes on the problem, five minutes on the solution. And uh, yeah, and you did something I think a lot of us did when we were you know, working those kind of jobs, being a people pleaser, doing what we should do. And if we got a promotion, we should take it into a man have been the right job for us. Like, you know, you, you realize you do not want to be a manager. You're a problem solver. It's not who you want it to be. But if someone gives you a promotion, you know, and if you don't take it, everyone's saying you're, 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 how could you not take it? You're stupid. You're an idiot. So, so Correct. you get a lot of grief from everyone for not doing it. But a lot of times you put in a position which you're doing something you can't stand. You're miserable at it. Your productivity suffers and you're not the uh, kind of employee that you were right before you got the promotion. So it's, but it is hard for most people to do it because you're in, 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 in that atmosphere, you pretty much take what they give you. You say, wow, you're afraid if you don't take this one, you may never get another promotion as long as you are there. So uh, you have to go and try to please those people because these are the people that uh, control your paycheck. So it's definitely understandable. But sometimes if you talk to them about it, you know, it's, um, it's a different way of thinking, but if you talk to them, I say, you know, I love doing this, but I don't know if I could serve the company as well. You know, maybe if you have that kind of conversation with them, they might be more open to it. But it, again, it's not an easy conversation to uh, to have. So, uh, you know, you know, again, thanks, Trent. And again, I think this is something, you know, you talk about problems on the line, so, you know, sorry. And I think that's so important, regardless of what part of entrepreneurship you are in. You have to solve people's problems. You got to serve them. You got to focus on what their needs and desires are and how you can help them, how you can solve those problems. I think too often a lot of entrepreneurs don't do that and it really hurts them in the long run because they're, 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 it's one of the biggest reasons they don't succeed is because they're not focused. They only focus on, oh, I need to get a client. I need to make some money. And that is important. But you got to figure out how can I help this person? What services do I provide that are better than any of my competitors? How can I make their lives better? How can I, you know, make solve their problems, make everything better for them? How can I serve them? And I think a lot of times they don't do that. So if you focus on the problem solving, everything else tends to take care of itself. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they're all different versions of sol problem solving, right? I mean, problem solving doesn't have to be working on a math problem, right? It's all of these things are problems. And I think it's, to me, it, it comes down to trying to optimize all of the decisions that we make. And so problem solving, I think, is a general term for making better decisions, for get, getting better solutions to problems, coming up with better strategies. And I think a lot of us are way too casual in how we do that. Uh, I challenge people say, what if every decision you made and everybody on your team made Every problem that was, every solution that you come up with, every strategy you came up with was like 1% better than what it was. Think about the cumulative effect of every decision, every solution, every strategy being just a little bit better. That's huge. And, but I think that takes intentionality. And I think that's an area that we just don't give enough attention to is decision-making and problem solving. I think, I think if you can actually become better at problem solving, which is a skill, uh, you're going to see the whole business flourish. So whether it's on the front end of, of sales and communications, or it's on the back end of customer service, or it's in the middle where you're actually creating products or coming up with a pricing strategy and all of those pieces. I think if you can make better decisions and be less casual about it, that's where I think things really start to take off. Because like I mentioned casual decision-making, we, we do that. Like we, we make decisions by default. We make decisions because this is what we should do. We make decisions because this is what people expect of us to do. And I think if we can transition from these casual decision makings, making decisions by default, whatever it is, and become more intentional, 
that's when we're going to start seeing not only more success in our business or a nonprofit or our hobby groups or whatever it is that you're involved with, you're going to see more personal satisfaction, more personal happiness when you start making those more um, intentional decisions because they're going to be more aligned with who you are and where you're trying to go. When we do things by default, we just do things because that's the way they've always been done. And if it's not aligned with who we are, that starts to create this unhappiness in our lives. No, I love that. You know, be, you know, be more intentional because it's more aligned with who you are and where you want to go. And you're right. A lot of people just do these. Uh, uh, they don't do that. And then they wind up making decisions that are against, you know, what they're aligned with. And as a result, they're very unhappy about it. And you may. You yeah, do well, I, think I think a lot of people are looking for looking for a solution rather than the solution. Sorry, I cut you off there. But I think that's no, no. a thing. We're just like, there's a problem. Oh, let's come up with a solution. So we come up with a solution rather than taking that little bit of extra effort of coming up with something a little bit more optimal, a little bit better, a little more aligned. And man, that makes a huge difference. Sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, take that time, make the decision, the best decision and, and, and do you know, everything 1% better. And you, and you mentioned that cumulative effect, that compound effect. A lot of people, unfortunately, look at everything short term. But if you do everything a little bit better, get that 1% better each day, each decision 1% better, each activity 1% better, all that thing accumulates, gives you a compound effect. And over the course of six months or a year, you see huge difference. But I think sometimes people don't see the results in a few days or in a week or two. They say, oh, it doesn't work. But these right. things compound. There's a cumulative effect in the long run you see huge uh, results as a result of that. So, you know, it, it, you mentioned, you know, one of the things you talk about is, and maybe this is aligned with some of the things you just said, is default-driven leadership. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's actually, yeah, we did mention it a little bit, but to expand on it, default-driven leadership is all about that. It's making decisions by default. It's, it's not taking the risk and making our own decisions to make our small business, our nonprofit, our job, lined up with who we are and where we want to go. And so rather than saying, okay, what's the right decision that best gets us in the direction that I want to go and that I'm personally aligned with as the leader, because as a leader, you have more decision-making authority uh, in that realm. A lot of us get into small business ownership because we want that authority. So don't give it up. But, but I think rather than doing that, we make decisions by default, meaning this is the way it's always been done. And I think a lot of times the reason we do that is because it's we feel like it's less risky, right? Okay, so if Victor was the guy that came before me and people say, why are we doing things this way? And I say, well, that's the way Victor did it. So we're just gonna keep doing it that way. That's less risky because if things go bad, if things don't work out, I can kind of blame you for that, right? Well, that's, you know, I just did what Victor had always done. I didn't really change anything. So that's really Victor's fault versus if I change things, and things go bad. Now it's my fault, right? This is the idiot that came in and changed this and now it didn't work. And so it's my fault. So we feel like it's less risky. The problem is it might not be optimal in that situation. But I think the even bigger issue is that the way that you did things, Victor, because of your personality, your experience, the direction you wanted to go wasn't lined up with who I am and what I want to do and where I want to go. And so doing things the way that you set them up to, to do, which could have been perfectly fine, isn't aligned with who I am. And what happens is those misalignments, that's what accumulates over time. And that is what leads to our unhappiness is we end up doing things that aren't even lined up with who we are, what we want to do, where we want to go. And one day we wake up and we're miserable in our leadership, whether it's in a job or in a small business ownership or whatever, we're miserable because we're doing things the way that other people wanted things to be done. And it's not consistent with who we are. And we wake up and we're like, 
this sucks. This is terrible. I thought it was going to be great owning a business, but this is awful. Well, part of that, one of the key drivers of our unhappiness is this accumulated effect of making decisions that aren't lined up with who we really are. And part of that is when we make decisions by default. Yeah, no, and that is a very important point because I think way too many people and, and we've all done at certain points in our lives. We do this, we do make decisions by default based on what other people have done because, you know, we fear change and we're seeing, like you said, you know, if I'm doing something because someone else has always done it, if something goes wrong, I said, well, that's why he did it. That's why I did it. But if you're doing way too many decisions based on something that's misaligned with what you want to do, and that accumulates, it, 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 you know, it compounds over the long, you're going to be very miserable, very unhappy. And, and, and unfortunately, we tend to do that because it, it's the way we figure it's the way it's always been done. We fear change. The brain fears change. It fears anything that's foreign that it's not used to. So anything that's new that it's not used to, it fears doing. So yeah, that's why people talk a lot about the comfort zone because it's comfort. It's like, well, this is the way the company's always done. It. This is the way my manager's always done it. So I'm going to do it the same way it's always done. And and sometimes it, it, the what's being done is it's not only it's not aligned with you. It's not probably maybe it's not always good for the company. Maybe been good ten years ago. It reminds me of a story I read like. Uh, uh, this guy met a woman and, and, and she's saying, why do you always cut the ham at both sides? He says, well, that's the way my mom always does it. So that's why I mm -hmm. do it. So, so he went to talk to the mom and he asked her, why do you always cut the ham at both ends? He says, well, that's the way my mom did it too. So then he went to the grandmother and he asked her, so why do you do it? Why do you cut the ham at both ends? And she says, well, that's because my... Uh, my pan is too small, so I have to cut it. It's the only way it'll fit into the pan. So they had no idea what they were doing it, but they just kept doing because that's the way it's always done. And that kind of default uh, leadership, the default decision making, is the way many people do it. So you got to figure out why are these decisions being made, and is it good for the company? Is it good for you? Is it aligned with what you're doing? And if not, it's very dangerous. So that's a very great point you you brought up, and I hope our audience understands how important it is to. Beware the shop because it happens to so many people. So that was a great point that's, uh, you made. That. That's a great example. And I think, you know, when I, when I talk about this, when I do keynotes, I talk about don't live your life like you're choosing toothpaste. Because this is sort of how we live our life and how we lead is that, you know, how many of us actually sat down and did a taste test on toothpaste? Like, which one do I like the best? Is it Crest? Is it Colgate? Is it AIM? Is it Pepsodent? Is it Sensodyne? You know, which one's the most effective? I'm going to do the research. We don't do that. We, we, we do what our family had growing up or what we married into or, you know, those pieces like that. We, you know, and that's just kind of a fun example, but that's how we tend to live our life and lead. Well, it's the default. It's how it's, it's cutting the ham on both sides. Yep. And I think as, as humans, we are predisposed to this. There's been so many studies about this that we like defaults. We like other people to make choices for us because it's easier. And I think I could give you all kinds of examples, but one great one is just organ donation. In countries where, like the United States, where you have to opt in to become an organ donor, the default is you are not an organ donor unless you check the box and say, I want in. Well, organ donation rates in countries like that are between 5 and 20% of people that opt in versus countries where the default is you are an organ donor and you have to check the box to say, I don't want to be. Well, there you're talking 90 to 95% of people are organ donors. Well, it's the same logical decision, right? Do I want my organs you know, harvested if, if I pass away? But because of the default approach to how we determine that, the, the differences are incredible as far as how many people are organ donors. And that's just one example. But I think we are predisposed to that because it's easier to have somebody else make the decision for us 
But yeah, exactly what you and I are both getting at is that then one day we wake up and we say, this isn't even what I want. Well, of course, it's not what you want. You didn't make any intentional decisions. You know, you you were just kind of taking the decisions from generations before you. Yeah, and that, that's an excellent point you just made there. We like to have the full choices made for us. Uh, and I think part of the reason, it's just so much easier to have someone choose. Number one, you don't have to take the responsibility and something goes wrong, you blame them. And that one about the organ donation, you know, contrasting with the U.S. with other countries, so the U.S. is five to 20% because you have to make the choice. Whereas over there, it's they make the choice for you and you have to opt out if you don't want to be. And it's like over there, it's like 90%. And it's something I learned from one of my mentors is like, um, one of the things you need to do to become successful is to take 100% responsibility for yourself, for your life, for your success. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do that. It is so easy to blame uh, the government, your employer, the economy, the weather, the government, the president, you name it, they'll blame it. And it's, it, and it's so much easier to say, well, it's because of this person, otherwise I'd be successful. <laughs> Whereas, and, and, and like you said, it's that the full choice that's made for you. It's easy to say, yeah, you'd rather have it if someone else has, so if something goes wrong, it's not your fault. So that's a great point you made here. Uh, a couple other things I want to ask you about. One of the things you talk about is the right peeps in our Jeep. Would you like to talk a little more about that? Sure. Yeah, that's actually the, the basis for my first TEDx talk was, was that it's grounded in, uh, I've done, I've been to Rwanda four times as part of my humanitarian work. And I was on safari one time and it, it really hit me hard. We're actually trying to find a black rhino. We had seen all the big five except the rhino and we were looking for a rhino. We were so excited and so passionate about looking for this thing. But it really hit me like how important it is when you are doing something like that to have the right peeps in your Jeep, to have the right people with you as you're going through life, as you're looking for the rhino or uh, later I was in Akagera National Park in Rwanda and they had just reintroduced lions for the first time since the genocide. And we were looking for a lion. Like we were going to be among the first people to see a lion uh, since the genocide. It was so exciting. Uh, but I realized, man, if I didn't have the right people with me, this would not be nearly as much fun, nearly as exciting. And it became this metaphor for life and business. If we surround ourselves with the right people, and they might be different right people for me than for you, but if I get the right peeps in my Jeep as I'm going through life, it's going to be that much more enjoyable. If I get the right peeps in my Jeep as I'm leading a business or I'm having a job or I'm doing nonprofit work, it's going to be so much more enjoyable. And so it's become a rallying cry for me and for other people that I've shared this with to just gear, get the right peeps in your Jeep and to realize that we have more control than we realize over who is in our Jeep and who's sitting close to us, right? We inherit our family to some degree and our classmates and some of our coworkers. We don't have a choice. We're in the Jeep with them. But even if they're in the Jeep and we can't kick them out, and in some cases we can kick them out. I've kicked people out of my Jeep, uh, hopefully subtly, hopefully respectfully, but I have respectfully, but I have. But the peeps that are in our Jeep, we can control how close they sit to us. In other words, how much influence they have over us, how much their voice we listen to. And I don't think we realize how much control we have over that to actually invite new people into our Jeep, to bring them into our lives, invite them into that. We, we go through life like we're not the driver of the Jeep and we are, and we control who's in our Jeep. And we just, it's almost like that default driven stuff that we've talked about already, but we just defer who's in our Jeep to somebody else or our situation or the environment or the neighborhood, rather than saying, you know what? I don't really like having that person have a voice in my life and kicking them out. Or seeing somebody else saying, man, I would love to spend some time with that person and intentionally pursuing them because most people love to be pursued. 
Um, that's part of my story is I, I wanted to laugh more. I hadn't been laughing enough. And I found uh, my, my wife's cousin's husband, who I barely saw during the year. I'm like, he made me laugh all the time. And I went and I said, dude, would you ever want to have lunch and just hang out? And he, he said, yeah. You know, and we just had a great time laughing. It's just kind of one example of being intentional about getting the right people uh, in our Jeep as we go through life and as we go through work. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. You know, have the right people in your Jeep, the people stay surround yourself with. It'll make life better, more happier, be more successful. And like you said, some things you may not control, but you have control over how you react to certain things. Like if there maybe you have certain people in your Jeep you can't get rid of, but you can keep a distance from it. And here's the thing. You may not be able to control certain circumstances, but you can control how you respond to the circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's your response to the circumstances that determines the outcome you have. A lot of people don't understand that. Some some things you have no control, but you can control how you respond to it, how you react to it. And I think that that fits in what you were talking about to the people in your Jeeps. So you could choose, you know, how, how, how long you want to interact with you know, maybe you're with them, you're hanging out in a group, but you don't have to spend all day talking to them. Maybe you talk to them for a couple of minutes and then you spend the rest of the time talking to people you really want to spend time with. You have control over that and you still have power. And you, you, have, you know, Like you said, people have a lot more power than they realize. They just choose to give it to other people. So I, I like that, the right peeps in, in your Jeep. And you know, a great example, of, uh, you know, when you were in Rwanda looking for the black rhinos and the lions, you know, from, you know looking for the lions, the, for the first ones since the genocide. And uh, final question for you I wanted to ask is, another uh, great quote you have is, you are not a boss. I like this already, but you like expounding upon what you mean by that? Yeah, I think I got my tennis ball around here even too. Yes, my, my prop is a reminder, but it's really getting at everything that we talked about, that we have more agency, that we have more control than we realize. And sometimes I think we treat ourselves like we're a tennis ball. And what I mean by that is, I believe Isaac Newton is the one that said, you know, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, unless it's moved by some external force. And so like a tennis ball, I could set this down on my desk right here, set it down on a stage, set it down on the floor, wherever. And it's literally going to stay there absolutely forever unless some external force changes it. If somebody else comes by, picks it up, somebody kicks it, the wind blows, the house burns down, whatever, whatever it might be. If, if none of that happens, it's going to stay there forever. It, it doesn't have the ability to start on its own. It can't stop on its own. It can't change direction on its own. And I think we've, treat ourselves and we lead like this, like we are a ball, like we are just sitting there waiting for the wind to blow and we hope it's from the West and not from the East. And the reality is we're not a ball. We can start things. We can stop things. We can change direction on things. We have more agency and more control over our life, over our business, over our nonprofit than we ever realized was possible. And I'm just coming into this myself. So I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but a lot of times I was just kind of went through life like a tennis ball. Well, let's see where the wind blows this week. Let's see if, if the house burns down. Let's see if somebody comes by and picks me up and puts me over there because I'd really like to be over there. So I hope somebody picks me up and moves me over there. We just live our life hoping for things to change rather than intentionally pursuing them. And, and I, I talk about this in the context of hope which I think hope is really powerful, right? We, we all hope for things. I hope for the health of my children. I hope for the people of Ukraine. I hope for all kinds of things. Hope is really beautiful. It's really powerful. It can be really uniting, but in, hope is not a strategy, right? Hope is not a strategy. It's not going to get you from here to there. If I just sit around hoping that the wind comes from the West to move me, great. I hope so too. I hope it does happen. 
But that's not a strategy. If we actually want to be intentional in our lives, we can still have hope for things, but we can also be intentional and take steps and realize that we have the agency to actually, because we're not a ball, we can get up and we can start moving in the direction of our dreams without just waiting for some magical thing to happen. Yeah, I agree. Hope should not be your only strategy. If that's the only thing you have going for you, you're in a lot of trouble. Or just hoping you'll win the lottery, which is like uh, the odds like two billion to one against you. Yeah, I mean, yet- some, some people swear by it, you know, especially, you know, if you're a spiritual person, a religious person, hope is a powerful thing or whatever. But uh, what I've found is that hope by in and of itself is pretty hard to get where you're trying to go. So, yeah, I, I think I think if hope is your only strategy, um, you're, you're leaving yourself up to the, the universe, right? The luck of, of what might happen. And maybe it works out for you, maybe it doesn't. But I think we improve our chances by hoping for things. If you want to, like you said, if you want to hope you win the lottery, hope you win the lottery, but also take steps toward financial security. And, you know, then you've got two ways that you can actually get there. Absolutely. You should be doing other things. And one thing I know from the vast majority of millionaires, successful business people, and entrepreneurs, very few of them actually do play the lottery. But what you just right. uh, your your point also made me think of a story. There was this guy who was praying to win the lottery for 20 years. You know, he'd go to church, he'd pray every year, every week to win the lottery and never won. After 20 years, he's saying, why, why, why? I prayed every single week and I never win the lottery. I've been praying, I've been good. Why don't I win? And then here's a voice that says, you have to buy a ticket first. <laughs> yeah, that's a good first step. That is a good tip. If you're going to hope to win the lottery, you should buy a ticket. That is a good first step. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, but I like the analogy of the tennis ball. It's not going to move on its own. It's only going to move if someone pushes it or the wind pushes it. We're not a tennis ball. We can move on our own. But a lot of times we do wind up acting like the tennis ball, waiting for other people, other circumstances to push us. And we have to realize, as you've been talking about the, you know, the last 10, 15 minutes, we have control of many things uh, that are going around us. We can react to it. We can decide how to respond to the circumstances that happen to us. We have a, a lot more control than we realize. We should not be a tennis ball because if you're a tennis ball, you're like the person who just relies solely on hope without doing anything else. You have to take certain action have all those things work together, and then you'll have a much better and different result. You'll most likely be much more happy in the end. So great stuff, Steve Fredlin. I really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, love all the wisdom you shared. It's been a, a great pleasure having you on. And before I let you go, Steve, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, I'd say uh, real quick, I'd say social media, I'm everywhere, but really LinkedIn is where I'm the most active. I do a, a Steve's Daily Stool every day. That's an intentional joke kind of uh, where I share a few insights that I have uh, every day on LinkedIn. So you can do that. And I got a couple of websites. stevefredland.com is where most of my speaking stuff is. So if you're an uh, event planner looking for a speaker, uh, check me out there. Smallsmallbusiness.com is really geared toward the, the business coaching, consulting, that sort of thing. I've got a 30-minute free consultation. So go out there and just click the link and set up free 30 minutes. Uh, we'll see what we can cover in 30 minutes and, and just take it from there. So I want to invite your listeners uh, to take advantage of that. All right. Sounds great. So reach out to Steve on any of those platforms, those websites. This guy's got a lot of amazing value to share with you and he's helped a lot of people out. Steve, thanks again for being on the show today. We really appreciate having you on. Have yourself an amazing day. My pleasure, Victor. Pleasure to talk talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.